0: You're listening to the Elmira Radio Hour, a podcast that opens the door to culture and news you definitely missed this week.
1: We're, we're your, your hosts,
0: Nina Bhattacharya and Sheila Lal. And we are back! This week, we're talking about safe spaces, pensions, taxes, radical empathy, anger, and the ways people of color are putting themselves out there after the election. Let's do it. Put you, put you Put on the midi jalapenai, Tidivale awek, die, ve, mid a Piche avatar. Put your pitcher on the midi jalapenai, Put your on the midi jalapenai, Tidivale awek, ve, mid a long
1: avatar. Mid
0: Sheila. So I was doing some holiday shopping today, and there's a trend of candles that are, like, savory smells combined with, like, a floral scent, like cucumber and, I don't know, honeysuckle or, um, basil and brown sugar. Like, I don't know, I'm just making shit up, but...
1: Yeah, 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 but that honestly does sound really nice. Yeah. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> So part of my self-care this week has been cooking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so my friend uh, Brie, who I used to canvas for, she had a holiday party yeah. this weekend and um, I made appetizers for that. French bread with ricotta cheese. And then I had baked butternut squash and apples. I cut them, diced them really small and mixed them with chai masala and then baked them. Oh,
0: that sounds like a good, good combination.
1: And then added um, like heated uh, garlic and sage leaves. And added that to the mix mm-hmm. and then topped with a balsamic glaze.
0: Oh, that's delicious sounding. Also, easy.
1: Yeah, it was super easy. But then this week I had two cups of turnips to use up and I had some beets that I bought. So, my mom last week had made radish somber. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got that recipe from her and made a turnip s- somber instead. And there's something really magical about cooking and then sm- uh, like smelling as you go along or tasting and realizing that you're doing it right.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a self-care process.
1: Yeah. And it's like micro tasks that I can focus on that have a tangible result and I can kind of tune out um I'm not trying to like stay super engaged with the world around me. It's like I need to focus on not burning this or like not letting mm-hmm. this spill over. It's just over.
0: like me time to just be and listen and be alone. I like cooking alone. I don't really like cooking when other people are around.
1: But then it's like I cook too much food, so I have to invite people over to eat it. So my friend Travis came over. We're gonna start. I mean, start that's working not
0: the project. worst thing. It's, it's not. Just, like, no, you have a friend. I'm saying
1: I'm like, Ugh.
0: oh god, I have a friend and they actually <laughs> eat my delicious food. It sucks. <laughs> One thing that has been clutch is when I've made big batches of stuff um, is freezing Mm -hmm. part of it.
1: So I did freeze half of the (laughs) somber and...
0: Because it was like the middle of the semester and I was like, oh God, I'm not going to have time to cook, but I want something warm Mm -hmm. that isn't like shit Mm -hmm. food. And I'm like, oh right, I had frozen a whole bunch of (laughs) kitri,
1: and with a dab of butter it warms up real well. Yeah. So I was like, that's so like Cindy of you. It is.
0: You know, yeah, people forget that I'm half Cindy, but I am. Like, the other week, I was just like, okay, I could either pick up food, or I could buy a whole package of paneer parathas, which are fucking delicious, and eat it with, like, really good whole milk dahi with chak masala in it. And I was like, I definitely did take a picture, and I was like, hey, mom, I did it, and I'm channeling the Cindy side today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, my mom called me uh, the later half of this week and was like, hey, I'm downtown. Like, do you want to get lunch? Because she knows in Columbia. And I was like, oh, I have food at home if you want to come over to my place. She takes a very pregnant pause and is like, or we can go out and I'll pay for it. I was like, girl, eat my food. Trust me. We got Chinese food and stuff.
0: (laughs) So the end of the story was that you did not win. <laughs> I did not win. Vanilla treated you to food.
1: And then she gave me her gloves because I'm super responsible and I've definitely procured gloves of my own. Mm-hmm. No. She was like, you can just take these. And they're like nice leather gloves. And I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I feel like
0: I hear this story once a year. My mom gave me nice leather gloves. Actually, I've heard, I feel like I've heard that exact phrase from either last year or the year before.
1: I think it's two years in a row and then I proceeded to lose one of the gloves in the 10 minutes I had them god this is why you
0: can't have nice things like 2016 is going out with middle fingers up
1: right (laughs) to be fair I did I did find it um it was on my lawn so I feel like I I it didn't go too far 2016 going up with middle fingers fucking with you in small ways When I was talking to Travis, somehow I got it into my head that it was 2018, and then I got really excited, and he stared at me. He's like, Sheila, that's not how time works.
0: (laughs) It's already midterm elections.
1: (laughs) Right? He's like, you can't will it into existence.
0: No, I mean, this is a good reminder to be like, everyone, if you feel mad about something... 2018 is going to be the Democrats' 2010. It has to be the Democrats' 2010. It has to be. 2010, we, the Democratic Party lost so many seats across the country, and that had huge ramifications for Everybody. what happened in subsequent elections and what policies were able to be passed and not be able to be passed. Yeah. Um, so if you're feeling the fervor, and you should because it hasn't even been a month since the election happened... Yeah. Um,
1: every morning and every night, I'm like, what new hell will the next 12 hours bring? I, I mean, I really
0: like the, um, some. There, there's a couple listservs that are like daily active resistance or weekly active resistance that I think is really helpful for people who need their hand held. No, that's really,
1: that is really useful. Um, and something that I didn't see get a lot of play is that the Trump transition team has basically asked the EP or the Department of Energy to make a list of all scientists working on climate change.
0: That's messed up. Yeah. I mean, there was that really good op-ed in the New York Times by a black professor who had been added to that list. Liberal for like, professors? These people bitch about safe spaces until they feel, quote unquote, targeted. Like the New York Times article about the college Republicans oh at God. the University of Michigan, Yeah, that was fun to read. I'm like, New York Times, you're equating bias incidents on both sides as equally violent. Someone yelling, you're racist because you voted to Trump is not equivalent to someone threatening to who burned their hijab in the street. Like one of these things is not like the others. (laughs) One of
1: the threats against a woman wearing a hijab happened when I was there. And I was just like, why? Why can't we have nice things?
0: We can't have nice things. Oh my goodness, you are complaining that the president of the university sent out an email affirming that the campus welcomes people of all identities. Guess what? That includes you too. Like I just I don't, like, know. don't get it.
1: I don't understand the cognitive. It is <laughs> not compute. It is Does not compute. It is so painful. And so here's the thing, here's like uh, all of this like I have like major planks to like my personal if I was a policymaker, these would be my planks. Fully fund public education and ensure that teachers have access to a good pension and good benefits and a decent fucking salary. Because you know what happens when you do that? All of a sudden, you invest in, like, actual academics. You invest in people learning. You invest in children being able to disseminate what is fake news versus real news and not be easily tricked. This is a general idea.
0: I mean, that erases what was happening in Michigan last week was that there was a Senate bill... That would have... Gutted teacher
1: pensions. Teacher
0: pensions. And, you know, if you think about it, like, one, Betsy DeVos, our dearest uh, TAP for Secretary of Education, comes from so Michigan. Easy. All of her experience in, experiments in Michigan failed. Yes.
1: She had that twenty ten grassroots initiative. I think it was twenty ten or twenty twelve, whatever, and it failed miserably. It was to create like more access to charter schools.
0: Yeah, it failed miserably. Anyway, so then you have this Michigan Senate bill to gut teacher pensions, and you know what that means? If you can, like, how? Why would new teachers ever come to Michigan or even enter a public school system? Well, that's
1: that's what it is.
0: If they don't have any benefits that are yeah. guaranteed. I don't think people realize how hard it is to be a teacher. You're spending so many hours outside of the classroom dealing so many with your classroom hours in the weekend dealing yeah. with your classroom, taking care of the emotional, social, mental health needs of your students, taking care of your own mental health if you have time.
1: Well, so here's the thing. Oklahoma, which has gutted... It, so when we say gut pensions, what we're talking about is there's three very different types of pension plans. You have defined benefits, defined contributions, and 401ks. Mm-hmm. And at the state level, like the most practical is to have the defined benefits, which does like put the onus on the state to provide those benefits, but it ensures that you have longevity and that those people stay in those jobs and that money, it goes back into your local economy like as soon as people receive those benefits. And then you have the 401k, which for private citizens is fine. You can, I have one like- Same. But the issue with state pensions is that you are putting tax dollars into a stock market. Instead of like putting it into a CD or like having like a slow return on a return rate on or like interest rate on your return, sorry- (laughs) finance terms um instead of doing that and like ensuring that you have a you have that chunk of money what you're doing is allowing that money to be used volatilely. that's a huge problem and in Oklahoma they've gone over completely gone over to a 401k they've cut teacher salaries and teachers are leaving that state what happens to like all the kids in public schools hope that question was rhetorical because I don't have an answer for that oh it's definitely rhetorical like <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen
0: I, I like I'm losing words again like you're articulate when you're angry I just get <laughs> flustered when I'm
1: angry I've had I've had years of practice because I have to for work yeah. but <laughs> Michigan is like Michigan is like ramming through some bullshit during lame duck
0: but see like the thing is people voted for Rick Snyder thinking he'd be a moderate businessman yep. Republican in fact mm-hmm. I've had I had family members vote for Snyder voting Republican for the very first time in their lives because Mm -hmm. the Democratic candidate in the first election in 2010 wasn't exactly the most convincing individual. And then since then, he's just been sneakily letting these things happen, like a state court had to order the state of Michigan to continue shipping clean water to Flint in the Uh last two weeks. I was actually reading Ashley Ford's Twitter account and she suggested calling your local school district and paying off lunch balances. I think that's a really good idea and I think I want to call the Flint school district see if there's a way for um, citizens to contribute to that and spread that information. I know a lot of people have been able to successfully do this after she Mm -hmm. tweeted about it. and I think that's a wonderful idea. One, playing off of the comments that Paul Ryan had the other week
1: about... That's, I was about to say that. <laughs> I was literally about to say So, like, Sheila, tell me
0: what Paul Ryan said about uh, kids who on
1: um, school lunch programs. They have no soul. They
0: have no soul. Paul Ryan,
1: you have no soul. <laughs> this is so... The, the, what irritates me the most about this is this, the Speaker of the House came out a couple years, last year, I think, saying like his remarks on poverty were, were ill-informed and he apologized for them. And here he is backtracking and saying that poor people who are relying on a community service, which is your school district, to provide like nutrients for your kids is soul-sucking.
0: It's interesting that agricultural lobbies haven't been up in arms about those comments because guess where all the extra food from dairy lobbies and things like that go to. They go to federally funded lunch programs, typically. And granted, it's not always the most nutritionally beneficial meal that comes out of these deals that were made Mm -hmm. with the agricultural system. But it does fund access to food for people who do need it. I'm always fascinated when there's topics where there's potential for intersectionality on that front, mm-hmm. but it doesn't happen. Yeah. Like if you think about it, if you cut federally funded school lunch programs, where is that extra food um, that's not being purchased? Can be
1: wasted. Or it drives the price Mm -hmm, down. mm
0: -hmm. And and, I mean, I'm not so familiar to say like what types of farms or dairy farms are affected. Like if federal funding for lunch programs would be cut, if it's like big commercial farms or smaller folks. But I mean, it, it is something to think about.
1: So it plays back into this idea of like if we dismantle all aspects of public education, then... So like here's my thing with public education. The reason that it needs to exist as opposed to having charter schools is because public education theoretically should provide... Equal access to equitable education. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reveal Podcast had a really good episode this in late summer about the impact of charter schools in the Detroit area. And it's not just that you take away all these white rich students to charter schools. It's your charter schools aren't regulated. Mm -hmm. If they receive any sort of state funding, like in Missouri, we're going to have this fight this year. But if they um, receive any sort of state funding, why isn't there state regulation on top of that? Your public schools, which are defunded because there aren't enough students to go to them they like have to consolidate and people have to move
0: yeah and also if you're thinking about it Um, From a research perspective, if you're not able to collect externally validated data about student performance or school performance on a variety of different metrics, how are you going to ever see what works, what doesn't work? Like, I totally understand the charter school argument in terms of creating space. It's easier to try innovative pedagogical techniques in a charter school environment than in a public school environment Mm -hmm. just because of how funding and regulations and things are structured and totally Mm -hmm. grant that there's some really innovative programming happening within charter schools. But the broader point is that it's not accessible to the average student, particularly Mm -hmm. students of color. Those innovative programs, usually I'm seeing, it's still the same relatively wealthy white demographic. I have feelings about feelings about systems like that and they tend to be like pretty rigorously focused on ideas of grit and discipline and things like that so sheila and i have a lot of feelings in this episode so we're going to take a pause on our awesome conversation and go to our music break really quickly I cannot describe how excited I am to finally feature one of our dearest friends of the podcast, the band Doctors and Engineers. They're based out of LA. They describe themselves as psychedelic DC garage punk with a diasporic vibes. And if that description doesn't sell you, I don't know what will. Doctors and Engineers' debut EP from A Good Family is out now on Bandcamp. It's a donation-based album. You should definitely give them all your money, but you can find it at doctorsandengineers.bandcamp.com. Their music is buzzy. It's frothy. The vocals hum in your ear. I just literally kitchen danced the first time I listened to the song we're featuring today. And I think as soon as you hear it, you're going to want to download the entire album and kitchen dance with me. Also, let's just say that they're like the most... Amazing humans who support radical work on the West Coast and support voices of other people of color. And that's incredible because, you know, Sheila and I firmly believe that art is a part of resistance, even more so. It's an honor to see doctors and engineers at the forefront of building this radical music community. So, doctors and engineers cardiapiar.com laid the love imperative go check them out doctors and engineers at bandcamp.com <laughs> I know you have some strong feelings about lingerie that we really need to unpack right now because you know that's a big topic on our show so
1: yeah and I just think it's really interesting that we're talking about like undergarments and lingerie under the guise of like oh we're gonna like women are gonna fix it when it's still not again intersectional and then there's still like this very strong dichotomy between undergarments and lingerie like that lingerie and like feeling like empowered in your own sexuality is still like see like perceived as like a taboo subject and that mm-hmm. it is for the male gaze which I don't subscribe to and I think that you can start seeing yourself as more like sexually fulfilled because of this self-love that's learned through other mm-hmm. love I don't know I was just thinking about that in not coherent terms uh for the last couple days because I think that it's really important that people take their own time and their own path to self-love, but that there are these tools available that you can tap into. You're touching on an
0: interesting and broader conversation of self-care and its interplay with consumerist culture. And like, should it be an interplay with consumer culture or not? Mm -hmm. Um, And the roles that capitalism can play Mm -hmm. at times the hairpin um, in its former iteration had a whole series about interviewing women about what self-care means to them and there's quite a few that are very thoughtful interrogations of what self-care can mean and the the idea of self-care is also hard Mm -hmm. not in the sense though it's hard to take care of yourself sometimes self-care is paying bills or cooking food or going grocery shopping or making the dentist appointment that you needed to make.
1: Leaving your house to go meet your friends.
0: I mean, these are just various things that they might stress you out. Like seeing, or like the idea of hopping on the phone could be really anxiety-inducing for people Like to make an appointment or have a hard conversation but that's part
1: of self-care is actually doing that hard work piggybacking off of that accepting what self-care is for you can be hard Mm -hmm. because it doesn't look the same for everybody and understanding that you can take the time to do it i think is also a difficult barrier to breach
0: i found it's been really helpful to carve out like a half an hour in during my mornings on tuesdays and thursdays to just Mm -hmm. read a book either something that's creatively fulfilling, where I copy down excerpts that really speak to me, or something that's just fiction or nonfiction, reading for fun. Um, And it feels like I'm investing in myself intellectually and creatively. And that gives me the breathing space to be my best self when I go.
1: Yeah. And for me, that's my commute. It's driving 40, 30 to 45 minutes, and just listening to a podcast or listening to music, but knowing that it's that time is built for me to just decompress.
0: Self-care is also allowing oneself to be angry and not necessarily having to regulate mm-hmm. one's emotions. Because when um, we suppress emotions, sometimes they come out yep. stronger later on. Like That's something that we talk a lot about In Vedanta Mm -hmm. or Hinduism, uh, the suppression versus, you know, sublimation. I am a big proponent Mm -hmm. of empathy, but not like empathy in the sense of I should necessarily try to understand why a white voter voted for Trump. The Empathy I'm talking about is white people seeking to understand identities outside of their own.
1: You're talking about empathy to deconstruct oppression.
0: I like to call it radical empathy. Not empathy in the the way a lot of think pieces have been tossing around, right? Like that have been kind of like kumbaya, like la la la, let's all be friends.
1: When you're talking about self-care is giving yourself the space to be upset and space to be your true self, it's also playing into this idea that it's important to understand Mm -hmm. or try to understand where you're more, um, I don't wanna say negative, because I don't think anger is necessarily negative, but where you're more um, socially unacceptable feelings come from, and mm-hmm. how you can channel that into having a productive conversation with somebody or something, or, or like having a conversation with yourself about why you're feeling that way. And it doesn't discount what you're feeling, it just helps you understand why it's happening. It's important, that's hard. It is hard. And I think that's something that, I mean, I've been working a lot on. But I think it's really important that there's kind of a model out there that it, it can work. Like, you mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. introspect for yourself and not because you need to do it on behalf of somebody else.
0: Yeah. No, I was just pausing to think about that because, like, it. you know, I'm even just having... A challenge figuring out what that would look like, you know, you're, like mm-hmm. what that would look like for someone who is kind of stuck in the space of introspecting for the benefit of others mm-hmm. to change that narrative and introspect for benefit of oneself. And so I was like, whoa, that's that is really critical. But how to make that actionable? I'm like, oh, maybe that's the hard part. Exactly. Right? It's I, like I guess where's I think the disconnect the thing we're grappling with? Yeah, it's like where's
1: the disconnect and how like the way that you do your work is really fascinating because you do provide tangible steps for your different um, demographics or your different targeted groups to have difficult conversations. <laughs> and that's important. And I think that like seeing that you can do it with physical tools is inspiring to not just me, but I know a lot of people to like say, hey, maybe we can do these type of workbooks or these types of constructive uh, actions to have these conversations around other difficult topics. hmm. Mm-hmm. It would be really cool if we had more workbooks and not in like the sense of like oh we need to learn how to do math but like creative spaces and like places for all sorts of people um to reflect and not just in a blank blank diary and I think that's something girl I just came with an idea why aren't there these things for young adults like as journals to like have spaces where you have an interactive journal so that way you're like not just spilling all your feelings into something you're able to construct it and like create more of an identity of self
0: Yes, some of these things do exist. Some of them don't exist explicitly for young adults in ways that are, like, evidence-based. I think that's an awesome idea. Like, really trying to seek out funding for the conversation workbook that I've been working on, which seeks to facilitate... That makes me so oh, happy.
1: Sorry, you can't... Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay,
0: so I have been working on this project all semester about a workbook that helps um, young people young South Asians specifically have conversations about their mental health and create an action plan for having that conversation. So when, where, with whom, um, what are the three things you want to say and convey? Mm -hmm. And the idea is it's supposed to be a short printable document that people can fill out on their own. It's really colorful, hopefully kind of creating a space of openness and engagement It also curates a list of resources for people to um, access because there's a ton of good work being done by a lot of South Asian nonprofits, um, specifically for young, young South Asians. And I want to take this workbook, put it on the web, start curating stories from um, South Asians who are older um, about their conversations, their hard conversations. And also creating a set of reflective art activities where people can work on self-expression. Cause what you're saying, you keep using this word construct, constructive, and that's super important one of the courses that I took this semester is with this woman, Professor Karen Brennan, who's a professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And she's one person in this long tradition of theory, which is how do you facilitate mm-hmm. learning experiences where the individual in the learning experience is constructing meaning for themselves? So there's this element of agency, mm-hmm. like people have control of their own narrative and the meaning they want to construct, yeah. but providing enough structure like think of a multiple choice question versus a free text open-ended question as like a way to visualize this. Um, so maybe yeah. creating in just enough structure where people feel guided, but they have space to explore and reflect. The reflection point being a key aspect in synthesizing all of the experiences one goes through both in life and both in within the classroom and understanding that there's an interplay between the two. Yeah. about in, introspecting <laughs> yourself? Yes to constructing experiences that are like radical yeah. and reflective. Radical reflection. It needs to happen. It
1: needs to happen. I know a lot of like women who are in their late teens, early 20s. And something that I push with them, it's like be yourself and like have conversations with yourself. But it's interesting that we also have this upcoming wave mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. young people who are already doing that because they see it modeled. And I don't know where that comes from because I don't actively engage with youth culture not because I abhor it or anything but because I just don't generally have access to it Um, and I'm curious like what that cultural disconnect is between our generation and the next generation anyone need a dissertation topic talk
0: about Tumblr and
1: adolescent (laughs) culture and self-reflection
0: connected to Tumblr on metacognition and um, social network analysis (laughs) here's one free idea get that shit funded just include me in your credits (laughs) somewhere
1: (laughs) include us (laughs) because the way that I I think about like coming to a space in yourself where you're okay with focusing on you and how you engage with the world around you as opposed to doing stuff to engage other people with you and so I think that within our generation like you and I speak from a a nice place of like aging into this idea and like being (laughs) okay with it um are you saying we're old are we getting I I want to be old I'm very much (laughs) looking forward to that (laughs) but we sp- we have experiences that lend them to understand what it feels like to introspect for someone else as opposed to introspecting for you and it's okay. something that i'm not sure if i think it's just like maybe the tail end of this generation is going to have to do and the next generation is already going to have the tools to be proactive
0: agree snaps snaps i'm snapping for you like <laughs> that was well said well articulated thanks yeah,
1: but the question how did you get there oh, is that the question you had?
0: If you're going to talk about a revolutionary situation, you have to have people who are physically able to wage revolution, who are physically able to organize. Can I read you a quote? Obviously. (laughs) I feel like this is most of her conversations. Sheila, can I read you this thing that I really like? And make everyone else who's listening to this podcast also listen to this quote. But it has to do with introspection. And it has to do with intersectional feminism. And it also has to do with anger. And it's the most amazing Audre Lorde speech that I've ever read. Give me it. It's called The Uses of Anger, Women Responding to Racism. It's from 1981. I will link to it on our site, almirradio.tumblr.com. Um... So you guys can read the full, full thing, but I'm just reading an excerpt. Every woman has a well-stocked arsenal of anger, potentially useful against those oppressions, personal and institutional, which brought that anger into being. Focused with precision, it can become a powerful source of energy serving progress and change. And when I speak of change, I do not mean a simple switch of positions or a temporary lessening of tensions, nor the ability to smile or feel good. I'm speaking of a basic and radical alteration, in those assumptions underlying our lives. And it continues later. Any discussion among women about racism must include the recognition and use of anger. The discussion must be direct and creative because it is crucial. We cannot allow our fear of anger to deflect us nor seduce us into settling for anything less than the hard work of excavating honesty. We must be quite serious about the choice of this topic and the angers entwined within it because, rest assured, Our opponents are quite serious about their hatred of us and of what we are trying to do here. It continues later. Women of color in America have grown up within a symphony of anger at being silenced, at being unchosen, at knowing that when we survive, it is in spite of a world that takes us for granted, our lack of humanness, which hates our very existence outside of its service. And I say symphony rather than cacophony because we have had to learn to orchestrate those furies so that they do not tear us apart. We have had to learn to move through them and use them for strength and force and insight within our daily lives. Those of us who did not learn this difficult lesson did not survive, and part of my anger is always libation for my fallen sisters. Anger is an appropriate reaction to racist attitudes, as is fury when the actions arising from from those attitudes do not change. To those women here who forget the anger of women of color more than their own unscrutinized racist attitudes, I ask, is the anger of women of color more threatening than the woman hatred that tinges all aspects of our lives? It is not anger of other women that will destroy us, but our refusals to stand still, to listen to its rhythms, to learn within it, to move beyond the manner of presentation to the substance, to tap that anger as an important source of empowerment. I cannot hide my anger to spare you guilt, nor hurt feelings, nor answering anger, for to do so insults and trivializes all our efforts. Guilt is not a response to anger. It is a response to one's own actions or lack of action. If it leads to change, then it can be useful, since it is no longer guilt, but the beginning of knowledge. Yet all too often, guilt is just another name for impotence, for defensiveness destructive of communication, it becomes a device to protect ignorance, and the continuation of things the way they are, the ultimate protection for changelessness.
1: I really, 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 really appreciate that. <laughs> I a lot. know! Give me your reflections, because I've talked too much. Um... So my immediate reaction is, yes, it's from 1981, but that is exactly how specifically women of color and queer people of color have been operating for much longer than that and continue to operate. Where the reason that we are the pillars of a lot of movements is because we can't afford to feel that impotent guilt. And it's not even like, a survival thing like an individual survival experience it's how do our communities people we love and those we don't even know have the opportunity to survive in a world that doesn't seem to want them and that's where the anger derives from it's anger and love in conjunction with each other
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the impotent guilt pit bit just like really struck me because as the election results were coming in and like mm-hmm. I, yes, I was a little bit drunk, but I was just sobbing, like, uncontrollably because I'd given so much of myself to that. And realizing, like, the white men around me who hadn't done as much, like, seeing their guilt angered me. Like, I heard from one of them later saying that we felt really shitty that here you are, like, giving all of your free time to candidates or, like, to an election. And we said, oh, we'll do it next week or we will do it in a different way. and never did and then are still reconciling the guilt of inaction with the guilt of why they benefit. And it still leads to more inaction. And so while I had my two days of being immobile in my bed after the election, I got back up and went to work, and I felt a a fire in my belly of just, let's let's fucking do this. Um, And I know that our progressive agenda is going to get steamrolled in the legislature, but that's not going to stop me from educating people and being a resource for people. And that's part of the anger that women and women of color and queer people of color just have to keep pushing. And -hmm. it's not like we're required to, it's just who the fuck else is going to do it.
0: Yeah. Existence is resistance. Yeah.
1: And so like going outside for the first couple of days after the election, yes, I live in like a very liberal town Um, and a very little part of that town, but still going outside is tough. And when I'm in Jeff City and I go outside or like I go to the grocery store that has my favorite cookies in a very white rust belt part of Jeff City, my physical being is an act of resistance and is a way of challenging these preconceived notions that people of color are X, Y, and Z. And it's why going into the Capitol this year, I'm actively going to dress up and, like, lean into my beauty because I want to be a disruptor. I don't want to hide. I want them to look at me and then go into that committee room and try to say some shit.
0: And that's critical. That's so critical. I mean, and you shouldn't have to couch what you're saying in terms of because I live in a liberal bubble. These liberal bubbles that we are, like, I mean, Cambridge Mm -hmm. also being one of them. Um, fairly liberal area. Acts of hate have been occurring in both of our our cities. Yeah. You know, like, acts of hate have been occurring in, you know... Everywhere. Like, it, it, it's not just... It's not just acts of hate are happening in parts of America, you know, like, that we don't know of. It's happening in our backyards and places that voted blue, you know... Um,
1: it's even more highlighted in places that voted blue. And like it's been happening in places that voted red as well. But um, Columbia's been very, very lucky that we haven't had anything bad happen
0: yet. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like uh, a mosque in the Massachusetts area received threatening messages.
1: Yeah. And from what I understand, our mosque has been safe so far, which feels like a, a blessing that like our community is trying to be kind even if you didn't vote for progress. I flew four times right after the election. And every single time I went to an airport.
0: I was so nervous. Oh, I was so nervous the first time I flew after the election. I was the anxious,
1: election. but t- at least in my experiences in St. Louis, Detroit, SFO, everyone was really nice. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, I was just yeah. like, what the hell? Where was this after the Patriot Act? Where was this after 9-11? And... I was actually really angry at how nice people were <laughs> because it's like this empathy is now, but it took us having such an extreme political environment for you to do that. It's, yeah. Yeah.
0: And also, I mean, okay. I also wanted to, one response to what you were saying about um, like really emphasizing how visible you will be in your spaces. Yeah. Is that guys, people of color are doing this across the country even more so than ever. They're doing that work of being visible in their spaces because it matters, but it takes a lot of emotional strength to do that, because you're setting yourself up as a target for microaggressions, for actual acts of violence. So just solidarity out with all of the brown and black people out there who are putting themselves out there more so than ever. Mm-hmm. Even if it's at the risk of their own safety. So,
1: well, luckily I am half robot, so not—it's <laughs> not like a whole lot of fortitude.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. No, when you're part cyborg, it all makes sense, I guess. I would totally read that book, brown girl, half robot. Yeah, write it. We are giving you all of the ideas for free. For free, we're not even charging you because we're nice people of
1: color. Oh, God. This whole conversation around what does resistance look like is exactly why I want to stay in the Midwest. I know that, like, it sounds odd that I, like, oh, you want to continue living in a place that actively works to oppress people who look like you or people who you find solidarity with. And it's like, yeah, because we can't, we can't leave and show them that their bullying worked. And also there will always be people of
0: color between the coasts.
1: Yes. You know,
0: like we're as much a part
1: of those communities as anyone else.
0: And that's our episode for this week. Uh, we are hard at work on our upcoming show. Sheila and I had an amazing two-hour recording session, so we had to split it into two episodes as a result, but that should be dropping later this week. Original music uh, in this episode is by Michael Dwansing and another thank you to Doctors and Engineers for letting us feature their amazing track. You can find the show at Elmira Radio on Twitter, online at elmiraradio.tumblr.com, and you can download this episode and past episodes to your phone through the podcast app or on Stitcher. It would mean the world if you guys could swing by iTunes and leave us a positive review that allows more people um, to find our show. Also, you can find Sheila tweeting away at Queen of Law and you can find me on Twitter at Only Nina. We'll talk to you later this week. See ya.